0: City WLCC Brandon
1: Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app
0: or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: Don't push God to the point where it's tempting. Don't say, "I'm a free man; I can do whatever I want." You need to be careful. Paul says flee from idolatry because immorality is close to idolatry. In fact, he's saying it is the same thing. What
0: other gods could anyone have besides the Lord? The word idolatry seems a little unreal to us 21st century, well-educated and scientific citizens. Not many of us have statues on a shelf that we pray to and burn candles in their honor. That may be what many people think of as an idol. But the fact is, our idols are far more powerful than inanimate little carvings. Our idols take us by the hair and drag us wherever they want to. An idol is anything or anyone besides the Lord God that we would give anything to have and for which we would take nothing in exchange. Whatever that is, is the God of your life. If immorality rules someone's life, then for that person, immorality is idolatry. Today on Verse by Verse, we'll hear Pastor Steve Kreloff explain the relationship between idolatry and immorality. Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the essentials for Christian growth. And today, Pastor Steve is beginning a three-part message about the battle for purity. I don't think I need to tell you how difficult that battle is either. Over the next three classes, we'll consider why living a pure life is so important, as well as how to actually live that kind of life. It may seem impossible right now, but stay with us and Pastor Steve will show us where to find and how to use the tools God has given us to win that battle. We'll be starting in Colossians chapter 3, so let's open our Bibles and begin the lesson.
1: Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians the third. Chapter, I'm reading from verse 5. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Let's stop there. Although the passage goes on and it's really speaking about uh, similar uh, issues, we want to we stop there. Jonathan Edwards was the third president of Princeton University, and he was a deep man of God and, and a deep theologian, but he had a daughter who had an uncontrollable temper. When a young man fell in love with Edwards' daughter, he asked her father for permission for her hand in marriage, and Edwards said, you can't have her. But I love her, the young man replied. You can't have her, said Edwards. But she loves me, replied the young man. Edwards again said, you can't have her. Why? The young man wanted to know, because she's not worthy of you. But asked the young man, she's a Christian, isn't she? And here's what Edwards said. Yes, she's a Christian, but the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. The grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. And, you know, we certainly know the validity of that statement. Some of us it either. I was not really praying, simply reminding myself of my problem. Can you relate to that? You want to, you, you, you think you're bringing your cares to the Lord, but really you're just reviewing the problem all over again. So battle. So don't think about it again. Don't even pray about it. But he said this, It would be, this person writes, the next week, things became infinitely worse. Between in distress to the doctor who said he had expected it, it was proof of word. And at times, we are all tough to live with. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul addresses this ongoing battle for holiness. He gives practical truths on how to have victory over our sin. He starts off in verse 5 with the little word, therefore. And and it's important because in the first four verses of this chapter, he's laid down the reason we should pursue holiness in our lives. We have a new life in Christ. We spoke about this last week. He said in verse 1, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above. You have died positionally in Jesus Christ. You have been given new life. Therefore, now he's going to say, let your daily experience reflect that new life. Since you have new life, live like new creatures in Christ. You are new creatures in Christ, live that way. And then he takes off into explaining what we're to do. In other words, in our daily lives, we ought to express and reflect the new resurrected life of Christ in us. And Paul's going to tell us specifically how to live as new creatures in Christ. He's going to tell us how to win the battle for holiness. And he does it by using a very descriptive and expressive uh, few words. He says in verse 5, we are to put to death our bodily members. Now, he he's going to speak about sexual or sensual sins. He's going to deal with purity in verse 5. Later in verse 9, He'll speak about anger and and sins of hatred. These are not exhaustive lists; they're just general, general lists representing all of the sins that we that we struggle with. So today we're going to look at the fact that Paul says, speaking about purity, we are to put to death those parts of our body that might lead to impurity, and then he'll give two reasons why we're to do that. So it's a very simple outline to follow. He tells us. Uh, put them to death, and then reasons why we should put these sins to death. So let's begin with verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Uh, Paul lists five sins in this area of sexuality and sensuality that he commands us to deal with. But how are we to deal with them? That's the real issue. And I think that some of our Bible English Bible versions kind of obscure what Paul is really saying. For example, the King James Version uses the word mortify, mortify. Uh, Hardly anybody today uses that word mortify. We don't use the word much today, and, and it carries with it. If you were to look up in the English dictionary what mortify means, it carries with it the thought of shame and humiliation, but that is not what Paul is saying not saying shame yourself into, into doing this or humiliate yourself so you don't practice these sins. Mortify doesn't really capture what Paul is saying in the original Greek language. The New American Standard Bible, which I use, which I think is excellent, uh, says consider the members of your earthly body as dead. But that also obscures what Paul is saying. That's not a good translation because it gives the impression as if Paul is, is saying it's merely a mental process. Consider, think of them as dead. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying think of them as dead, consider them as dead. That's not really the, the issue at all. The Greek text says, put the members of your earthly body to death. That's, that's literally how it should read. Put the members of your earthly body to death. Kill them, slay them, execute them. That's, that's what he's talking about. In other words, Paul's calling us to put forth some effort, some effort in putting to death parts of the body. Now, that's what the Greek text says, but what does it mean? What does it mean? Certainly, he cannot be referring to literal execution. I say certainly because in Matthew chapter five, which I encourage you to turn to, Jesus spoke about this same issue, and he wasn't using Uh, He wasn't speaking about literal execution. Jesus used similar language in Matthew chapter 5. And and we know that he couldn't possibly be speaking literally, and I'll show you why. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He said, you've heard that. The ancients have taught that. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So our Lord is saying here, and and, and keep your place here, please. He's saying that uh, some people think that adultery is just the physical act of it. But I'm telling you that the intention of the law of God goes beyond that. It's a mental thing as well. It's a lusting in your heart. And if you've got a problem with this, he says... As he goes on in verse 29, let me tell you what to do with this problem. Verse 29, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of your parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, did Jesus mean that a man... Who who struggles with lust is to pluck out his right eye and cut off his right hand. I don't think so, but some have thought so. Origen, who was a well-known church father, uh, actually mutilated himself in response to this. He had himself castrated because he thought this is what this verse and another verse in Matthew 19 about being a man-made eunuch was was about. Others uh, practiced, followed origin, and uh, it must have been an ongoing problem in the early uh, centuries of the church because in 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea forbid this practice. Now, what did Jesus mean? You know how we know, you know how I know beyond any question that Jesus wasn't speaking literally and that origin uh, was absolutely wrong? Because if you literally followed what Christ said, it wouldn't solve the problem of lust and adultery. A one-eyed, one-handed adulterer uh, would be what you'd have. That's all. Are one-eyed, one-handed people less lustful than two-eyed, two-handed people? I don't think so. I don't think so. You see, sin doesn't originate with the eye, or with the hand. It originates in the heart. And that's why our Lord said in Matthew 15, verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, slanders. That's what it's about. You don't don't solve the problem of lust because you're one-handed or one-eyed. You don't do that at all. You just hurt yourself. Centuries ago in England, if a pickpocket was caught and convicted, his right hand was, was cut off. Did you know that? Right hand was cut off. If he was caught again doing this, his left hand was cut off. There was actually an incident of a man who was caught twice, and they amputated both hands, and he continued his trade with his teeth. I'm telling you that physical surgery never changes the heart. Never gets inside of you. So what did Jesus mean when he said that we uh, when he spoke about plucking out an eye and cutting off a hand couldn't possibly be literal He meant the same thing that Paul meant when he said put to death your bodily parts They both used figures of speech and that's all they they use figures of speech to refer to discarding evil practices associated with specific parts of the body. You see, the body. Keep this in mind. The body is not evil. The Gnostics, uh, uh, people who were influencing the uh, Colossians, believed that. They believe, and some people do today, that the body is evil. The body is not evil. The body is not evil at all. But sin works through the body. You want to be careful about that. The body is not evil. Sin works through the body and 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 so we speak like this today we we use similar language like like Paul used for example if i say don't give me any of your lip i'm not literally referring to your lip what i'm saying is i'm talking about the rude and disrespectful comments that come through your lips see we speak like that today likewise paul means Put to death the sins that are committed through the members of your body. He's not talking about maiming yourself, amputating any any organs, he's not talking about that at all. But slay the evil practices and desires that are produced through your body. That's what he's talking about. That's what the Lord was talking about. So, first of all, what we want to see today is specifically what are the sins that that Paul says we're to slay? We're to put to death. What are those sins that work through our bodies that we're to put to death? And secondly, uh, how do we put them to death? And we're going to get very specific, and I'd encourage you to take notes on this. I'd encourage you to take notes so you can refer back to it, because we're going to be very specific. Number one, Paul says we're to put to death immorality. Immorality. Now, we're just going to go through this list. We're going to explain it. We're going to see what the Word says, what it really means, and what we have to deal with. This is where we live. This is where we struggle, men and women, boys and girls. This is where we struggle. This is what we need to put to death. Number one, he says immorality. This is the Greek word that's, that uh, is porneo. You recognize it because it's we get our English word pornography from it. And pornography is actually made up of two words. It's a picture, graphe, a picture about sexual sin, porneo. Originally, this word in the Greek language referred only to prostitution, but in the New Testament, we know from the context, it broadens out. It broadens out in the New Testament to refer to any Form of sexual activity outside the marriage fund. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear that there is to be no sexual relationship between a man and a woman outside of marriage. I remember a fellow years ago coming to me and saying, Where does the Bible teach that? So, where does the Bible teach that? Well, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is what I showed this, uh, this man. And I show you, I don't think there's any verse that's any clearer than this. There are many verses, by the way, but I don't think there's any verse that's clearer than this. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three for this. Just go Colossians and then it goes just a little bit over and you'll have Thessalonians. Just one book over. First Thessalonians four, three for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. I don't know how how anything could be clearer, but let's read on. I mean, this is the will of God. When people say, how do I know I'm in the will of God? Abstain from sexual immorality and you're in the will of God. This is it. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger and all these. Things. In other words, don't take your brother's wife, what he's talking about. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification consequently, he who rejects us is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The God who gives his Holy Spirit to you, who can through you slay these sins. So immorality means that. And adultery is included in this word. It just means any kind of deviant sexual uh, behavior. And it's referring to the relationship outside of, of marriage. The second word that Paul says, we are to slay the sin of impurity. Now, what is impurity? This word literally means filthiness or uncleanness. It refers to a filthy mind. Uh, we talk about someone has, oh, what a dirty mind you have. That's, that's the word. Impurity, unclean thoughts, the imaginations and fantasies that go on in the mind before they become indecent acts of behavior. In Romans, you don't need to turn there, but Romans chapter 1 Verse 24, Paul uses this word here. He says, therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. In other words, they had these impure thoughts in their minds, and God let them do exactly what their minds wanted to do. That was his form of punishment for them. Paul uses another word, passion. Passion. You know what that means? It means uncontrolled passion. Uncontrolled passion. Passionate lust. In 1 Thessalonians 4 5, Paul calls it lustful passion. Lustful passion, he says it characterizes Gentile unbelievers, people who don't know God. Lustful passion. In Romans 1.26, it's translated degrading passions in reference to homosexual behavior. Degrading passions. It's just passion out of control. He goes on. Evil desire. Uh, It's similar. I'm not even sure myself how you'd make that distinction between passion and evil desire. But it's similar to to passion. It means evil cravings. It goes along with passion. It's a lust for what is forbidden and and what is wrong. And Paul says greed. Greed. This is that insatiable desire to have more. It is that covetousness. It is coveting what doesn't belong to you. He's referring to greed associated with sensual sexual sin, which is why, and I want you to see this, this is very important. Notice the end of verse of uh, verse 5. He says, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the real issue. It's idolatry. That's what he's talking about. That's the real issue here when it comes to sins of sensuality. It is idolatrous because, in essence, the drive to have sexual gratification becomes the most important thing in life, more important than pleasing the Lord. And many times in the New Testament, immorality, impurity is associated with idolatry. Do you realize that? Idolatry. It's, it's worshiping self. Let, let me show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter, 10. This is what, what this is about. It's an idol that we have in our hearts it becomes bigger than life it becomes something we say we have to have or else we're not satisfied first corinthians chapter 10 speaks of the israelites who were immoral but paul says it was really idolatrous living and he and he wrote first corinthians 10 to keep us from this first corinthians 10 verse 7 and do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, nor let us act immorally. Notice how idolatry and immorality go together, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. It's referring to Numbers, I think it's Numbers 25. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happen to them as an example, and they're written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the earth or the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The person who says, I have liberty, I can do what I want, I can go to the edge of my liberty and I'm all right. And Paul says, be careful because you're bordering on idolatry. And therefore, he goes on to say in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Don't push God to the point where it's tempting. Don't say I'm a free man. I can do whatever I want. You need to be careful. Paul says flee from idolatry because immorality is close to idolatry. In fact, he's saying it is the same thing. Ephesians chapter 5, you go back to, to Colossians, just two books before Colossians, Philippians, and then Ephesians. I want you to see where it goes together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly uh, talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see how he puts it together? Immorality is basically idolatry. It is the worship of of self-gratification, which means it's an idol.
0: As two seminary students walked down the street, they noticed a suit of clothes hanging in a store window with a sign that read, Slightly Soiled, Greatly Reduced in Price. That's a perfect illustration one student commented to the other. We ourselves get dirty when we read or view things we shouldn't. When we engage in lustful thoughts or behavior, and the time comes for our character to be evaluated, we'll find that we are greatly reduced in value. Our purity and strength are gone, and we are as ordinary as the rest of the world. This is Jerry Pruden. I'm glad you tuned in today for Verse by Verse with Bible teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily Bible classes are produced by by verse-by-verse ministries and make it to your radio in large part through the gifts of listeners like you. If God is leading you to become a part of our support team, you can learn how at our website versebyverseradio.org. You'll also find today's class and hundreds of others available as free MP3 files. That's versebyverseradio.org. To order a CD or cassette with the whole three-part message, call us at 727-239-0306. Leave a message if you need to, and we'll get back to you during regular business hours. In the Calvin and Hobbes comics a while back, Calvin was misbehaving in class, but the teacher blamed Susie and sent her to the principal's office. Susie was terrified, but when she explained what had happened, she was stunned and relieved when the principal believed her. The principal held up an overflowing folder and said, Oh, yes, we've got quite a file on our friend Calvin. Like Calvin, we may try to get out of the responsibility for our sins, but it won't work. We can never fool God, nor can we expect Him to help us if we lie to Him. If we want to grow in faith, we need to take responsibility.